On this week's episode, we talk about what it looks like when your dream is your nine to five. For those of us who have been around for a little while, we know that the 2023 job market looks completely different than it did in the year 2000. And the possibilities that are available to us now just didn't exist 20 years ago. But more and more we see on social media, the pressure to leave your nine to five and start a more entrepreneurial journey. I sat down with Dr. Shirley Payne, who has a PhD in health behaviors from Indiana University, and she was transparent with us about her journey to the public health field and having a 10 plus year successful career, why she chooses to stay in the profession, and how she's inspiring others to live out their authentic journey, even if that leads them to a nine to five. Welcome, Dr. Payne. How are you? I am good. Happy Friday. And thank you so much for just even thinking of me to even want to chat with me and talk with me. It's so surreal. Just, I mean, you are just the boss all in yourself, Dr. Murray, and just seeing you grow and throughout the years, I'm just so, I'm big proud of you, just like I'm your big sister. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. And so a brown and bossy here, we want to we give our guests our flowers, gas them up a little bit. So I've told you this story. I've told Imani this story already, but I'm going to tell the people. So um, Imani, um, Dr. Payne's youngest sister, is my best friend since we were three years old. So surely Dr. Payne is 10 or so years older than us. So growing up, she was like somebody that I heard of, but never really saw. So when we were in eighth grade at our eighth grade graduation, we were taking pictures. And at this point, Shirley was Imani's sister who's in college. And in eighth grade, like college is this like really cool, far off thing that you really want to get to. Don't really know what it looks like. But in eighth grade, I had like internalized what I thought a college student was. So being Evansville, Indiana, a lot of that looked like a white student. It looked like somebody who really spoke a certain way and carried themselves a certain way. So just this stereotypical college student. So Shirley from college comes over and she's like, hey, girl. And I said, I thought this was the student that was in college because ain't no way she is in college sounding like us. But at that moment, it really planted a seed in eighth grade to be like, this is somebody who talks like us and looks like us and looks like people from uptown Evansville, Indiana, but she is in college and doing amazing things. So at that moment, you know, eighth grade is not really a big deal. You don't really realize it. But as I got older, went to college myself, and I think at my end, junior, senior year, I was thinking about whether I wanted to do a master's program or I wanted to do a doctorate program. And I think those same kind of like thoughts came back in, like who was a doctoral student. And then Imani said, yeah, Shirley's going to start a PhD program. And I said, now what makes her think she can do a PhD, but not in a way that she can't do it. But I'm sitting here questioning myself and who I am and what a doctoral student looks like. And she's already, she's already there. She's doing it. So I say that to say that, you know, there's never really been a sit down Ayala Vincent conversation about like, girl, you are beautiful and you are worth it and you got to do this stuff. But since eighth grade, 
we have been you've been modeling what it looks like to go after the things you want to be educated to look like and be who you are and continue to do excellent things it's a blessing to have you in my life Shirley so I know that other people by hearing you talk will get to have a little sample of what I've been able to see over these 20 years (laughs) I kind of want to stop here and say what what is it that you do right now because we don't know so explain that to us absolutely so like you said before prior to coming to my job um at HRSA the maternal child health bureau I was with the Indiana state government uh for 11 years and so I gravitated to the world of public health like I thought I, I thought I was gonna be a doctor you know I want to be an OBGYN you know all these things um, but let's, the real answer is, is that, okay, I was a fifth year, you know, I was a fifth year senior in college. I didn't have time for nobody's MCAT, none of the things. And I was barely like trying to get on up out of there. And so by that fifth year. And so after that, I just, I thought that maybe I'd take a year, go to grad school a year, and then I'd still get back into the medical field while well, I discovered the public health program. And I tell people all the time within, after like two weeks of being in the program, I knew public health was for me, just the impact that you can have on whole communities, whole people. Not that you can't do that one-on-one, you know, on an individual basis, but this ability to impact like the broader community just really spoke to me. And so I, it's like, I fell in love with it. And so I wanted to learn, I wanted to keep digging and what it is that I was doing. And so that's what led me to get my, you know, my master's in, in public health. And so I was a double major and so I did epidemiology so that's kind of with the science of public health uh, you know I tell people nobody knew what an epidemiologist was until COVID came exactly. uh, so really just kind of understanding whether it's how disease or just anything is you know spread within a community or within the world and how are you looking at that and analyzing that so you can have intervention um, to be able to assist with that in some way but it's not just you know for things that are going wrong. How do you help someone maintain what it is that they're doing? And so I was epidemiology and then I was behavioral health science. So I gravitated more to the behavioral health science side. And that's what led me to public health because within that, I get to, gosh, implement programs. You know, part of that is evaluating them, making sure that they're doing what you need them to do, um, helping communities to build. Um, so whether it's from an infrastructure standpoint or working, you know, with communities to be able to implement programming that's going to help, you know, the people that they serve. So I got to do that. And, and what it looks like on the state level is a lot of times is you're giving money, you know, being able to do things like that. You, I ran a program uh, myself for the state that helped children with special health care needs. And so it was a supplemental coverage program, not necessarily insurance, but it kind of filled the gaps for families that really needed resources and services to help you with their child's condition. And so from that, it's like I, I fell in love just with just children, but I really gravitated to children that had special health care needs. And so but then from that, it's this broader love for maternal and child health. So I, that's just the population that I've gravitated towards. It's a guys, a spectrum of, of things. So you talk about anywhere, you know, from infants all the way. So we say cradle to grave when it comes to maternal and child health. But especially the, the biggest populations you see certainly are pregnant people, birth, pregnant people, birthing people, and especially in infants and children and young children and children with special health care needs. So when I came to HRSA 10 months ago, uh, so I stepped out on faith and leaped and I applied for a job. 
And so I just, I get to do the same thing, but in a broader scale. And so my particular division, so we are responsible for the Title V Maternal and Child Health Services Block Grant. It is the, it is one, so we call it a federal state partnership and it's, it's the oldest federal state partnership in the country. So this particular legislation for Title V was enacted in 1935 when the Social Security Act was enacted. So over eight, like 87 years at this point, that you know, in some shape, form, or fashion, this program has been helping the women, infants, children, families, uh, children with special health care needs. And so I get to do that every day. And so we give out um, grants, uh, 59 uh, grants to all the states territories and jurisdictions. So thinking like some of your island populations, we give out money to all of those and to the tune right now currently of over $590 million. I like to tell people, I get to save um, moms, babies, uh, birthing people every single day. And I couldn't be more excited about what I get to do every day. 2023 with all these like different like content creator jobs and jobs that didn't exist now or didn't exist before and I think like the idea of the nine to five has like shifted from when we were younger to where people are like you need to get away from your nine to five so as this 10 plus years you have been in the public health field what keeps you um interested in what keeps you in this field when a lot of the media and everybody is saying like you need to do something you need to be your own boss be your entrepreneur oh yeah it can trust me like it can be you know it can be difficult or you do hear that a lot like exactly how you said it is that you know not you know working for somebody working for yourself I decide I, so I like to have so you have to have a guiding light for yourself a guiding principle you know I truly believe that you know we are called um, to, to do things. So for as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to help people and whatever helping people looked like. And I feel like eventually I would get there. Um, and I would be lying to you if I said, I've known all along that this is what I wanted to do. Cause no, it wasn't because, you know, catch younger me, like I'm trying to get some money. Like I'm trying to like, make sure I can do all the things. Like I'm trying to travel, be on vacation all the time in the streets, whatever. And so I think that, you know, it, it didn't necessarily. So I think like, okay, doctor, I can do that because I'm helping people and then I could be making some money. But I think you, as you continue to mature and grow um, as a person, and I'm sure you can attest just like in college, you start really thinking about like, man, what am I going to do? You know, it's kind of like you leave high school, you go straight to college and it's like, okay, I'm going to get there. It's going to be that. But like, I don't necessarily quite know what it is I want to do. So I vividly remember coming home, I believe it was probably my junior year, maybe after my first senior year. And I was just really trying to figure out maybe where it was like my niche and where it was I was trying to be. So I you know, I love my grandparents, you know, to, to death. And I remember, you know, being in the kitchen, my grandma was sitting in the kitchen, my grandpa, and I asked her a question. I said, how do you know what the calling on your life is? And so, she, you you know, grandma, you know, she get real extra sometimes. And so she calls my grandpa in the kitchen because she want to hear what he's going to say. And so I thought, while grandpa's a man of few words, I thought that, you know, he was going to come back with something super deep. And I'm like, okay. I'm ready. I'm listening. And what he, he paused, he put his head down. Then he looked up at me and he simply said, you'll know what the call on your life is, is when you find joy in your heart with what the Lord has laid on your heart to do. And so I was kind of like, 
Okay. Like, and that, that didn't give me nothing. You know, I was like, that, that ain't really give me nothing. But the more experience I got, that's what I've always brought myself back to is what gives me joy. So being a civil servant, that's what we call ourselves, where we are civil servants um, when it comes to public health or in government, like, because essentially you, you answer to the people, like, that's what you do. Your, your charge is to do that. And that is what I have found joy with. You know, if I look back 30, 40 years from now, when I'm a hundred years old, I truly believe that I'll still be able to say it was worth it. And I gave everything I have to it. And I think it's this work that I can do it with. And it just happens to be a nine to five. And I'm okay with that. I love that. Just because I I feel like if you don't want to be your own boss, or you don't want to step out entrepreneur, then people look at it a certain type of way. So it's good to hear this perspective, because I'm like, Shirley, thank you for inspiring me to go to college, but it's a scam sometimes because I'm like, do I really want to work this job? But it's part of knowing yourself and, you know, knowing what you are meant to do and not falling into that what everybody else says you should be doing because you do that and you're not happy and you're wondering why. So I love that you brought up um, your grandparents because I want to kind of go back to Little Shirley, Evansville, Indiana. So tell me what that was like growing up, who you were, personality. Give me a little peek back before before Dr. Payne. Oh, gosh, yes. So one, like I tell people all the time, I love Evansville, Indiana. Now, granted, no, I have not been back uh, since I was like 18, but I still, <laughs> you know, excuse me, I still go home. Uh, but it's a, you know, I've, it's a it's a city right you it's a, a city but it's it's enough that it still feels like this small town feel so as I think about just in general like growing up and like where we grew up like our Chandler like the block we were on like you knew your neighbors you knew the people behind you in front of you to the side of you everybody looked out you know for for each other so my grandpa worked at the factory grandpa didn't have a high school education but I like to tell people he is one of the smartest men I know um, and wisest, you know, men that I know. And then grandma was a school teacher. And then, you know, as you get older and you learn their journey um, and just kind of where they've been, it just makes you even more proud. Um, but it was this, I, I mean, my mom, like, you know, my mom, she always made sure we had a meal. Now, granted, you ain't out here eating steak and lobster, but <laughs> you know, that, that, that $10 pack of chicken or that, <laughs> You go get a pound of hamburger meat and no more. Like she always made sure we had a meal. We were always eating. I said, but my grandparents just stepped up in a major way, just making sure that we had what we needed. And so I was always in this environment to where I I knew that I could be anything I wanted to be because I didn't know any different. I didn't ha- I didn't know nobody telling me anything different that I could be you know, anything, you know, that I, that I wanted to be. And they fostered that and they encouraged that mother. Grandma had her master's degree at a time where nobody in the 60s, she got her master's degree. And at a time where really women really weren't going to college or, you know, she Mm -hmm. would tell a story about, she tried to get one of her friends to go to college with her and basically said, girl, we're going to be dead before we finish. But she just heard saying that, you know, your grandfather never made me feel as if I couldn't do or I couldn't go. But mind you, Grandma had mom, mom, she got pregnant with my mom at 15. And so she had her at 16. She had uncles 40 and 17. She had my uncle Sugar at 18. 
And so she had, you know, her babies back to back. And so she did not go back. And she dropped out of high school when she had my mom. But she didn't go back until she was 21 years old. And she did it. And she finished and graduated with night classes. And then she went on to college and graduated undergrad in three years. And then went to got her master's. And she was walking back and forth to college and school. So it's when you think about what mm. your people have been through. And so I like to tell, you know, when I sit on panels and boards, I like to open up because everybody sees you on paper. So I like to always give a little tidbit like that about this is me off paper and what you don't see. And because Mm -hmm. it's in the terms to say is that I truly believe that I have to be the manifestation of their wildest dream. And so it's a privilege to sit there. My third great grandfather and many other ancestors could not read or write. Um, or they didn't even have the opportunity to do mm-hmm. so. So I would, I wanted to take advantage of every opportunity that I did have, even when it was hard to be able to do what it is that I can do. So I can leave the world a little bit better than what I found it, especially for my family, because that's what everybody did. Um, Amazing. I think it's sometimes easy to forget when you see like, your grandmother as this person who is doing all these amazing things or if people look at you and don't realize all the stuff that they had to do to get where they are so you have a greater appreciation of that whole journey and not just wow you have all the degrees and you know there's more to that you know I oh when I see most time you know I I see you know you see people and I want to know their stories, you know, I want to know, you know, their journey or, you know, you'll see people like, well, I don't like I'll have students, you know, that uh, say so because I do uh, adjunct teach um, at IU School of Public Health. And so you'll have students just frustrated and trying to figure out things. I have pulled up my transcript in front of the whole class uh, and say, you see, I got that. I failed my first major class that semester and I was on academic probation this semester. And they'd be like, okay like and just like just being open right and vulnerable to being able to do that because you have to tell people like you just walked in on this chapter of my life mm-hmm. in so many other chapters you know to that and again I have literally failed more times than I have succeeded but again you use it as it's all lessons and blessings so I want to kind of talk about like your career and like you said, you are um, an adjunct faculty member. You teach at IU as well. And um, so tell me as far as I know you said kind of you were a fifth year senior. Did you ever did you come in like with the roadmap of, okay, I have this vision of this is how I'm going to this is where I want to be and this is how I get there or did it just kind of unravel as you came you know I would say so yes in the sense of that's what you're taught right you are taught to like have a plan execute the plan which what is not always necessarily taught in you is that those plans can change Mm-hmm. You can have multiple dreams. You can have multiple aspirations. You can pivot and shift at any time, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think going into college, um, yeah, I had to, like I said, had the plan, right? Like I'm going to graduate, then I'm going to go to med school. Like I'm going to be a doctor. So whatever that's got to get me. So, you know, I was a biology, you know, major. I also did African-American studies. I was a chemistry minor because I'm pre-med, you know, right? I'm going to medical school you know that's the plan 
Well, then I said, you know, taking organic chemistry three times until I passed it and trying to get out that math class, finite math class. Like, you know, like, you know, stuff start looking a little different. You like this GPA ain't the math ain't mathing. Like, I just I don't know how this is going to work. And so once I towards that end, you know, so I'm trying to like, OK, I got to have another plan. Like, again, the plan, the dream's not lost, but how else can I get there? And mm. so that was that, okay, I'm going to take a year off between undergrad, you know, and grad school. Um, and then that's so when I started the Masters of Public Health program. But mind you, I told you, I didn't had some failures along the way. And so there was a program, it was a one-year program. And basically, you know, you got like this, this like master's in science type of thing, but it really was geared towards students trying to get back in med school. And you had to have a particular score on your GRE, baby. I could not hit it. I could not hit the score. And so I'm like, oh man. So to be honest with you, like finding public health was like by default, you know, because mm. it's like, okay, let me get into this old bet. You know, my GPA is high enough that I don't have to take the GRE. They're going to let your girl go on in there. Um, bet like so it was kind of like okay and then again I fell in love with the program so that's why I truly think right you end up to where you know you're supposed to be um and I fell in you know and fell in love you know with that now with that I didn't know what I was gonna do you know like I like I was still working that, that year I took off I was still I got my job my bookstore job from the university transferred up to IUPUI because they were both Barnes and Nobles by that point and so I'm working trying to figure out okay let me get in school so I was kind of one of them I stepped out on faith I quit that job if I didn't get in school because let's be honest like I needed that school money and I don't care what people say you needed some help you needed some help to live your life and it is what it is and so I was like okay I'm in here but again I was loving it but it was, I took the opportunity of being in grad school to figure out all the things that I like to do. And so there was a group of friends um, that we formed. Some went to IU and you kind of knew, you may, I think I maybe knew of one person at some point just because of science classes. Um, but we all kind of mesh and we are still the best of friends, you know, now. Um, as I call them my grad school friends. And like so, a few of us was looking for a job. We didn't have a job. And so I came across a position that basically, basically allowed me to be like a, they call it a mentor, but I work with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And so I was like, oh, I could do that. You know, I started part-time and then I just grew from there. But I will say it was that job that then led me to get to the state initially and then to keep going in my trajectory in my career. But had I not did that. And so we, when I say mentor, it was anything from, I mean, I was living my best life. I had just came to Indianapolis. So I was going to the zoo. I was going to movies cause you're working on community inclusion, um, doing all the things, but I was also daily living skills. So I was also helping with showering and toileting and all the things. And so it's like, you know, one, I, t I like to bring myself back to that because to, you know, everybody talks about staying humble, being humble, not forgetting, you know, where you started. But for me, truly, it was where I really, if I had not had that experience, I would not be where I, one of the reasons I would not be where I am today. And so it's in thinking about that, but yeah, the plan shifted. The plan shifted. The plan didn't go as planned. Plan A didn't work. Plan B didn't work. So, and then I thought that like, okay, I'm going to take a year because there was a couple of girls. So there a couple of my friends, the girls in the program and one just did one year and then she went on to med school. So she's an orthopedic surgeon now. 
And then I had another friend, she actually finished and then went on to med school. So she's a family physician now. So I thought maybe I'd take that route. It just, it didn't go that because again, I enjoyed the, the public health piece. So then the goal became, okay, I want to work for the state health department. Cause that was kind of like the pinnacle, you know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. the time of where you could do. And so, and I, I did that. Um, but I also was there for a couple of years and I started questioning, like not even questioning, but thinking like, okay, is this what I want to do? So I don't know if you've ever felt in a place of, am I doing this because I truly like this and this is what I love to do? Or am I doing it because I'm good at it? And I think that you have you have moments like that. So I always I knew I wanted to go back to get my PhD. So for me, getting my PhD was a personal goal. So you know, I I tell people like my pillars and like it's God, family, education, and it's like I can't put again. College is not for everybody, so everybody has their journey. But for me, I'm going to always encourage someone to go to school just because of what it has afforded me. And so. I was like, okay, I can't do that without trying to reach the pinnacle of what I think education is. Mm, and so mm-hmm. it was a personal goal. Now, I'm not naive enough to know that, yes, it will position you and put you in places and spaces that maybe you would not have access to, um, but a little diff- a different little respect on your name type of thing. But at the end of the day, it was like, okay, I want to do that. Well, I took four years between grad. So I took a year between undergrad and grad school. I did grad school. It took me three years since I was a double major. And then I took four years off before I went to get my PhD because I had to keep assessing myself every year. Am I ready? Am I not? Am I ready? And I just kept coming back to I wasn't ready. And I see how people go all the way through sometimes and realize they should probably should have took a break or like it, they just feel like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. But it helped me just taking my time getting back in because I knew it was going to be crazy, right? I knew it was going to be rough. Um, but so I took those four years off. But the health behavior program is not the first program I applied to get into. I had this whole thing in my mind that I was going to be, I'm going to do counseling psychology. I want to be a therapist. I want to help people, a counselor. So I did all this. And this is what happens when you move in haste. And so I'm trying to use an old GRE score. I was like, it's about to expire in a year. Let me just use it. Let me hurry up and get an application. Your girl didn't get in. How about that? That's long story short. I did not get in. And so, spoiler alert, <laughs> and you feeling dead, like you feeling down because I'm like, dang, I ain't never like not been accepted, or mm, I ain't never like mm. not did well. And I kid you not, a week later, I got pro- my current boss, who was the director, um, was leaving, and I moved into the interim director role. And so, and again, that just set my trajectory. So there's there's sometimes when we step out on ourselves. God going to be like, let me spin that on back around. You ain't about to do all that right now. Like stay where I have you and be in place so you can keep going where you need to be. So I, again, that's why I say, I think sometimes, again, what we consider failures of not doing certain things mm-hmm. always brings us back um, to, to where we're meant to be. Even if we veer off, we always end up where we're supposed to be. Now, whether if we're not being hard-headed and we are listening mm-hmm. yes. and trying to follow where we're supposed to go. So kind of talking about, you're pointing out sometimes where it didn't work out, it looked more like failure before it looked like success. So failing forward sounds great after you have gotten to the forward part. So at the at the failure, at those turns, how did you have to take a moment and figure it out or were you like all right that didn't work we're moving on to the next one and did the imposter syndrome pop up anywhere along that way or are you one that's just like a easily I can brush it off and we're just going to be on to the next one 
listen, all the above, first, second, third, like it's, listen, it is anytime you, whatever you characterize as a defeat for you or mm -hmm. a failure for, for you, you feel that, right? Mm -hmm. Because we all want to do well. Most, we, nobody's going to tell you, nah, I just want to like mess up my life. Like, no, we all want to do well. And mm -hmm. so when it doesn't happen, especially again, if you're used to having win after win after win, mm -hmm. and that, that little defeat come in there, like you're like, oh, Lord. like, what is this? Uh, I don't know what this is. And so you feel some type of way about that. And so you have to have a minute to gather. And most people, you know, no, you just got to keep going. I hear you. I'm mm -hmm. just not ready to be there just yet. And so I think, again, I will tell people all the time, maturity does not come with age. But as you mature and have experiences, that happened to me at 22, 23, 25 it look, it look a whole lot different at 39, almost 40, right? And so, yes, but even now, I'm like, yeah, you, I have to have a moment. So they talk about, you going I'm going to cry and I'm going to boss up. Yeah, like, that's real. Like, I'm going to sulk. I'm going to be on this couch for about three days, eating my ice cream and watching my Netflix show. But then you have to move on. And so there was a sermon, uh, oh, that's been years ago, that uh, the pastor had, had preached and he, he essentially, he quoted another uh, a preacher of saying, have your moment, but then you have to pick a day. You have to pick a day that you are no longer going to be in that space anymore. Mm. Not saying that you're not going to keep healing from whatever that is or trying to figure it out, but you have to pick a day. I remember him saying like next Tuesday, like next mm -hmm. Tuesday, well, I'm going to do all of this right now, but then next Tuesday, I'm going to be okay. And so as I started mature and really taking you know, that in, I've kept that with me too of like, okay, I can get through this. And I kid you not, I will sit there and talk to myself. I'll be like, okay, every time something would happen, I'd be like, okay, Shirley, we've been here before. We know mm. what it's going to take, whether it's going to take some, it may be, it's going to take some time. So you feel like you're sitting around here with a broken heart, you know, it's, it's going to take some time. I'm going to move forward. It's going to be okay. Or like you said, I didn't get, you know, I didn't get in the school or I didn't get, you know, the job or whatever the case may be. It's just like, that's okay. Because my grandmother, so I tend, so I've really tried to ground myself in my faith. And, you know, my grandmother would always teach us to pray. Thank you, God, for this or something better. And so, but again, I feel it more now as I'm getting older and more mature, um, but it's it's even that. And so, you know, I, I like to say that, you know, regardless of what people believe in, regardless of what they believe, you have to anchor yourself in something. And you it has to be something greater than you, something that you see is greater than you because that's what keeps you grounded um, and in belief. And so for me, that's my faith um, and being able, you know, to, to do those things. And so... It, 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 their younger me was definitely more of a, I just, I don't like this. This ain't it. But I said me now too at 39 still gets that way, you know, sometimes, but it's, e it's easier for me to keep it moving and keep moving forward because I know I've got through it before, right. Or God has brought me through it before. So I know I can keep going. Imposter syndrome is real. You know, I know some people say, Oh no, it doesn't exist. Or yes, it does exist. Listen, when I moved into this new job about 10 months ago, like you are just, you know, I, I, there's so many brilliant and smart people. I ain't the only one, one or two with a PhD. You get everybody get, 
you know, a PhD, everybody got a master's degree. So, you know, so it's just like, and not even just in that sense, but like you were with some very smart, capable people been doing this work a lot. They published here and they're doing this and you like, Oh Lord, like, okay. Like, and so you, for a minute, like you kind of, I'm one of those people that I like to observe for a minute first, and then you kind of jump in, but being the director of the division, I mean, you get a level that my team has been amazing. My bosses have been amazing. Um, but for a minute, it's just kind of like, Oh Lord, like I ain't going to pick this up. I ain't going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Um, but you just, it's, it's allowing yourself, um, grace. And to hear your bosses tell you, give yourself grace, to hear a team tell you to give yourself grace, to hear a friend, a mentor tell you to give yourself grace, um, that is real. And you don't have to get it all figured out right now. That's real. Um, and that whole idea of, okay, what are you, you know, what are you always gaining from always being the smartest, quote unquote, mm -hmm. smartest mm -hmm. person in the room? You, those people are going to help you grow. So even in just 10 months, I feel like I've grown, you know, leaps, leaps and bounds. But I say it, it can be, uh, like I said, I'll get, you know, certain national meetings or these people that you idolize or you, you know, you see as the gold standard to what it is you're trying to do or what you're trying to reach. That can be a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, like, oh, a little nerve wracking. But I think it's just, it's just a matter of, owning your own stuff too, like knowing that you are perfectly capable, you've got the skills, you ain't the only person that applied for your job. And so you would not be there if you were not capable to to do it and, and to be there. But yeah, but it, it sets in. I just, the, the older I get, the more experience that I have, the more mature I feel like I become, it's easier for me to get to get past it than once before, because I just be a mess until I stay like, okay, I can't do this. And for me, it was getting busy with things. So whether it was something in college, I throw myself in my studies or like, or even at work, like I throw myself into whatever my pet project was or that what I was very passionate about. And so it was redirecting that energy too, um, which also helps a lot for me. Okay. And I know you talked about how, like when you're in those places where you're not sure yourself, having people to pour into you and remind you and get to give yourself grace and remind you who you are. So kind of talking about mentorship and um, having those people and also being those people for um, somebody else. So I know you, as just as we talked, it's evident that you really care about people after you, your students, and making sure that they are able to see the real life journey of what it takes to achieve their dreams. So tell me what mentorship in the form of you being a mentor for other people, what does that look like at this, at this stage for you? Oh man, I, you know, for me, I think, it, I think you, you, you hit it for me right there in the sense of, I want to give people this real world, real life view of what it is, like what it is to grow as a person, um, not this romanticized, sugar-coated, rose-colored glasses version um, of me. And, or like you said, this, this idea of what a professional has to look like or, mm. you know, the, all these things. And, you know, I don't have to show up in black, blue, brown and tan all the time. Your girl going to put on her orange pants and her polka dots, you know, and my heels. <laughs> it's, it's things like that. And so I think, um, are being relatable, especially as a professor. So, you know, sometimes, you know, you get, 
I remember, I can think back, you know, when I was a student, like I said, I never want to be the professor that forgets that I used to be a student too. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it can be easy, you know, for, for people to do that, to be like, well, I had to work hard. And so you have to do it. No, you still show your students grades. You have to care about their physical and their mental health. So the more that you learn about mental health, folks, traumas, like all of those things, um, you have to give them space and knowing that they're human beings and not students. So I really try to lean into that, especially in my classes, but if any, my, uh, people that I'm their direct supervisor or even just colleagues and peers, like really try to lean into that people still show up as their whole selves. I'm not only trying to help you as your professor and to gain this knowledge that I'm trying to impart on you, I'm trying to also give you knowledge and build your character. And so that's one of my like quotes that I, I like about education. It was Dr. Martin Luther King. And I might not, I might miss all the words, but it's just like, you know, it's, it's intelligent plus character. That's the true, you know what I mean? Meaning of education, you know, or that's the mm. true purpose of education. And that's where I want to be is to how can, how are you going to remember something beyond my class? That's not just, the material that you had to learn, but that it taught you something and hopefully makes you feel like you're better off from taking my class. And again, I approach it the same way, you know, with work as well, caring about the person. Um, Cause it's hard to show up when you do have stuff going on, but like it to be able to notice that, like notice when a team member's body language is off or like you do understand, like, Hey, how you doing? You know, not bombarding them with things, but it's like building that rapport, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm not up here and you're down here. And so I very rarely, if I'm with my team, I don't say, Oh, and this is one of my staff, such and such. No, this is my colleague, such and such. And it could be my, my direct reports, direct report. I don't do that just because we are all this collaborative, inclusive, leadership going through life together as human beings so I I tend to I like to approach it you know in that way because I never want to give somebody this false sense of everything's a linear path Mm -hmm. or you're always going to get it right like I never want to be that person I want to show you that you can be a hot mess you can make mistakes and you can still achieve what it is that you you want to whatever whether it's a traditional or a non-traditional path Mm-hmm. I like that that you said that you like to check in with the person because I know job satisfaction if we're talking about just real world right now people now I think it has shifted between you know I want to be paid correctly yes but that's just not enough for people they want to be treated well they want it to be cared for well and having a supervisor that doesn't I'm checking on you because now you're not doing what you're supposed to. That looks different or that's perceived different than somebody who has checked on you just because it's Tuesday has shown that they care and not just when a problem arises. Um, because I know that have, I would say my second year of grad school, I don't, I think it was just a time for everybody in that cohort. And, um, at the very end of the semester, we were doing our reviews and my supervisor was like, you know, I noticed that midway through the semester, something was off. What was some going on? I think it was just life, just life and be a grad student. But I'm like, I wish you would have said this in the middle of the semester instead of now, because at that moment, you know, 
maybe I need somebody to say, hey, I see you being a little bit not like yourself, like what's going on? Because I think, I know it's some saying, I'm about to be like you, I don't know what the words were, but it's like, you never regret the opportunity to be caring for somebody to step in and be a shoulder or be a sounding board or being somebody that gives the advice. So you don't want to be in that position to where, you know, you've achieved all of this because other people have laid out the blueprint for you. Other people have been encouraging to you and then kind of forget about that when it's your turn to repay the favor to other people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking for a friend that is myself, we're no, I'm no longer a student. So now as I'm a new professional, I'm be this coming up on my second year, full year of being an audiologist. And I find now that people look at you a little bit different when you're no longer a student and you're a professional. And now like trying to reach out and like, I really feel like I could be, uh, I could use a mentor or somebody to, you know, help guide me, but you're not that student. So people don't really treat you in that space. Or I would say maybe people aren't as open to kind of being that mentor. Mm -hmm. So how does somebody who is already in the profession, no longer a student who know they could benefit from some guidance, how do they reach out to somebody to say, hey, will you be my mentor? Even find a person to identify as a mentor. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those, like you really do have to put, it's like you're putting yourself out there in order to see if that can happen. So it's a lot of cold emailing, like, you know, I did, you know, I've I've done, I I do, you know, you do cold, kind of like that cold calls, but like cold emails um, that go through and, and it's, the key is, I think, when you're doing it in, in that way, like perhaps emailing, is that, you know, certainly explaining why, where you see the connection with that person and what you would like to get. And maybe it might not be an ask just yet of, okay, now, well, you know, can you be my mentor and help me? It may just be, I love to sit down and have an opportunity to chat with you um, about your journey where you started from, you know, what you've done. And then once you have that conversation, nine times out of 10, people are going to be like, please like reach out to me. And like, so I just had a, you know, I had a former student just say, you know, I would love for you, you know, just to be my mentor. Absolutely. Because again, I see that you're engaged. Again, you are, you do care about what's, you know, going on, you know, with me as well. But I think it's, it's that it's literally just starting off or say you attend a conference or a meeting introducing yourself. So it, it certainly is a lot of you putting yourself out there um, for them to do because most people are going to do that. Um, and at the same token, so you have people, so you always hear about it in the sense of, you know, people to where you want to be, that's where you should be looking. I'm, I wholeheartedly believe in that. And you certainly should have that, but also still talk to the people of where you are because to their experiences may not be the same as yours. Even if y'all work in the same place, it's not the same, you know, as yours or your friends that are doing similar things. Um, Having those conversations, the professional conversations and not just personal, but then also you still want to like someone that is trying to get to where you're trying to be. So being a mentor yourself starts helping you to really start thinking about your own thing. So you don't have to have arrived or achieved to mentor somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it's like this, this three layers of where you want to try to be. But a lot of it truly is 
reaching out, but just trying to get to know the person. And you can, you can say, you know, you can fan out and be like, you know, I just, I think, you know, you, you know, your journey, your path is great and wonderful. I would love to chat with you. So it's, it's simply, you know, simply, I'm saying simply that, but it is nerve wracking. It's scary. It's scary. Yeah, it's scary and nerve wracking. Somebody might not respond to you for two weeks and then you'd be like, but then they're like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, you know, about reaching out. So most people, in my experience, I've never, I haven't had anyone just be like, no, I can't holler at you. You know what I mean? And on any of that, but it is, it truly is putting yourself out there. I said, but coming from that angle of trying to learn more about them, but also like I said, putting yourself in a position um, to be able to mentor someone else, pick up gems from your own peers to keep helping to, to, to shape, you know, where you want to be. My best friend has a coach, like a leadership coach. Um, that she she has and so certainly helps her you know navigate you know through um, different things so anything like that that you can pick up certainly there are books that you can read and podcasts you know you can listen to so even some of those non-traditional ways as well into thinking about that but mentorship is just kind of like jobs like you can talk to people and you may be like, okay, yeah, I didn't really vibe with that person. So there's no obligation from you to keep trying to reach out to that particular person. So just keep, you know, keeping your eye on, you know, who you may want to, you know, reach out to in that way. As easy as said than done. It is. I'm trying to tell you, I listen, I already know. Yes, I already know, but trust it pays off. It will pay off in the long run, especially the gyms. But what I also, so I will say to you is, you know, I've had this conversation, you know, with my best friend in the sense of, yes, I think mentors are very important. You know, having people, you know, that you can look up to, you can see. I mean, again, especially if it's where you're trying to go and be, but sometimes folks over mentor themselves like you know it's kind of like mm -hmm. because i'm listening to this person's so, okay i take that gym from them and i want to be like that and i want to be like that person and then so you get all these people but where do you come in your where are your desires at where where do you want to be and so there's no absolutely have a mentor but still understand you and where you're trying to be. And so give yourself more credit that you don't have to do it like somebody else, but you're taking in the lessons that they're, that they're giving you in order to form your own path. So just to kind of summarize, we talked about really your journey to this dream and this career in public health that really started as a dream of something else to be real and how like your upbringing in Evansville and the community around you have kind of fostered that idea that you can do anything and there aren't those limitations and then when you did reach some maybe limitations or defeats you're able to pivot and use that to kind of put you in a space that you might not know what it was going to look like at that point but you continue down that path were able to find something that brings you joy um that's a lasting and not just this day-to-day -day happiness sadness thing that I think people are trying to achieve in whatever they are doing you know sometimes it looks like I'm trying to get money, but at the end of the day, people want to have happy lives and people want to have something that's sustaining. So it sounds like that is what you have been able to do with public health. And it just so happens that you are a big boss in public health now. <laughs> and, and being a big boss and it being, uh, being awarded and having all these 
achievements under your belt is part of something that brings you joy, then all the more power to you. So I appreciate you taking the time to really share that. I said that the first interview I did was with one of my friends that I met three years ago, and we talk all the time, but we never had this type of conversation. So you grow to appreciate the people like we talked about with your grandmother. You go to appreciate people more in a different space when you're able to see them fully because the IUPUI I was just like Shirley is doing the thing she gave her master's and she got this job and all of this stuff so it is it's a pleasure to be able to see you in this light and through I said this before your impact I don't want to make it sound small because it really has been big in the education space but just how you handle yourself when you have more because as you have gotten more you have always given more because I remember I was who told me this but it's like when you have an abundance of something you don't mind giving it to people you don't hold that for yourself so whether it's I'm in college and I'm like I cannot afford this restaurant uh surely (laughs) and it's like you don't worry about it or we're trying to put $2 to equal $500 for a hotel because we want to go out of town. And you recognize and you've had more experiences. So you're like, you know what? I have the opportunity to help you all have these different experiences. I think that speaks volumes of yourself. I think it speaks volumes of your grandmother, your mother, and your three times great-grandfather because all of these people have made Shirley who she is. And like I said, in my life, I'm like, that is really dope to see somebody who is so willing, so unselfish to do things. So that's my shill about Dr. Payne. So I'm glad other people that do not have your number, who's able to call you and get you on their um, podcast interview, were able to hear some of that throughout this interview. So in closing, Dr. Payne, can you give us a gem? Can you affirm our audience a little bit? and kind of give them some encouragement that they can take with them in their lives. Absolutely. Listen, I, I've always, so I take in gems, you know, myself, and then I like to give the credit where the gems, you know, come from and to, you know, help other people. So there's a couple of things that, you know, I'll say uh, my best friend and I, you know, one thing uh, that we'll say to each other, like, you know, cause you know, your friends and your event, you know, to one another and maybe work going crazy over here, your personal life going crazy over there. The one thing my friend had got this from her therapist years ago and it saved some for you. And so in a moment that we're feeling overwhelmed and it's crazy and we're just trying to navigate, there's a lot going on. We'll just look each other in the eye and say, save some for you, sis, you got to save some for you. And so that is, that's a key because you know, you, you know, we've, you know, kind of touched on, you know, you think about, you know, we're always go, go, go. So you have to think work-life balance does exist, but what people have to understand that balance isn't always 50, 50, right? It's a matter of just, if you're on a bike, just don't fall off. So you be seeing people do wheelies, you see people leaning all, you know, like the motorcycle drivers, the racers, they leaning all the way to the side. It's just not allowing yourself to fall off the bike. That's where you should put balance. It's not just that you're staying in straight up all the time. And so now you might fall off the bike and guess what? That's okay. 
because you're learning something when you fall off. But guess what? You got to get back up on the bike. And so that's just it. But so that's part of saving some for you is where are you finding that balance? Where are you take? If you're working, you are enthralled in work because you're trying to grow your career and all that, baby, you got you to gotta unplug some nights because, you know, you working all day, all night on the weekends. That ain't going to do it because I, what I, I always send it to my any team that I've ever had and even for myself for when I've hesitated to take time off. It's, you know, it's, it's a meme that says, you know, take your days off because if you died today, they will post your job tomorrow or your obituary or like your job will be posted before your obituary. And that is true. Trust me, I have been in a situation to where that has happened essentially. So it's that save some for you do. And it is so cliche to say, oh, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. I scream that to the rooftops because it is so true. So you mentioned, uh, we talked about like Ileana and how she, you know, has different things. And so there's this, there's this clip when she's with Oprah and that I always paraphrase and I use even for people I meet, I mentor, whoever I come across, literally it's, you know, she talked about, you again you can't pour from an empty cup and what happens is is when you're when you are your cup is full like you want to give people what's overflowing from your cup not what's in it because when you're giving people what's inside your cup you are unknowingly making them a thief and i said mm. Woo, sis. Mm. and so and that's <laughs> it you do want what is overflowing because if you're depleting everything that you have mm. i save some for you and you are giving it all to everybody and that's where your resentment starts coming in that's where your frustration starts coming in that's where your anger starts coming in and you don't want that and then and then lastly i just say if you feel like you need an unbiased opinion, get yourself some therapy. Ain't nothing wrong with having a therapist or a counselor. You know, I had more girlfriends with therapists than not, or more people. My grandmother had a therapist for years. My fact, grandma outlived her therapist. Her therapist unfortunately passed away. But like, it's just like she had a therapist for years. And so it's a, and again, it could be a counselor that would, whoever you decide to make sure like this, this person unbiased, they don't know you from nothing to be able to speak, to do that. So recently, a few months ago, I did, because again, I always felt like I was in this space of, I've had such an amazing village and group of friends that I've always been able to express myself. I've always been able to communicate. And so I didn't feel as if I had always thought like, oh, things I have to work through. Well, that ain't just what therapy is about. Yeah, people, most people show up and present because something's going on and they need to work through, but it's also called being proactive. I know couples that go just to be proactive. And so at the end of the day, have somebody that's there. So my goals of working on therapy is because like you said, I, I certainly believe that whom, to whom much is given, much is required. And when God blesses you, it's not just for you. Um, but you also, I, I can't, I have to understand that I don't have to be the savior all the time. People can help themselves. And so that's what I work on. That's what I talk about. One of my goals in therapy is is that. It's called cognitive distortions. And so I talk about that or setting boundaries because when you do feel like you're a giver, you know, I believe, you know, we all have at least one spiritual gift, like the Bible says, and I do truly believe mine is giving. You know, if I had just the one, it's giving. And so how do I balance that with giving all, you know, of yourself to mm -hmm. the point of, you know, exhaustion or depletion and not? So I think that, be mindful of your mental health. It is not a sign of weakness to go because you got something going on and you need to work through something. I, I truly believe everyone needs that because we all go through situations and events in our life 
no matter whatever the spectrum of, of very minor, not affecting us to truly impacting us. And we all, me and you could go through the same scenario, same situation, and we internalize it differently. So just truly being mindful of your mental and your emotional health, because that's what, that's, what's going to guide you. That's where it's going to hit your mind, your heart, your body. Like that is what's going to give you the strength and the energy and the motivation to go after those things, even when they seem, even when they seem hard. So you have to, to keep going. And like I said, don't be afraid to fail. Like you, you know, have that courage to keep, keep moving. And so I said, my last little quote I'll give is that, so I love to kill a mockingbird. Um, I know I feel like it's taboo in schools and stuff now, but it's real old school. It's real old school. The one book that I think I read from cover to cover is Kill the Mockingbird. (laughs) And part of that is, you know, it's the part where, you know, Jim has the gun and all these things. And so paraphrasing, you know, you know, Atticus says to him that, you know, courage, you know, courage um, is knowing your licks before you begin, but you begin anyway and you see it through no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. You have that sometimes you do part is the faith and the hope that you hold on to. And so that's what I would say. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Payne. Again, I appreciate you coming on for episode two of Dream Talk at Brown and Bossy. Um, If you are a child, a woman, pregnant woman, birthing person, any of that. Thank Dr. Payne because she's trying to get y'all right in these uh, public health streets. (laughs) Thank you again to Dr. Payne for sitting down and talking to us, us nine to fivers about how we can find joy and fulfillment in working our nine to five jobs and still be dream chasers. And thank you to you for sticking around for two episodes of Dream Talk with Brown and Bossy. And we hope you'll stick around because we have two more interviews to complete this series. So until next time, bye.